Jeannie Flavelle's Hot Commodity Podcast Series. Empowering clients with commercial intelligence, supply chain expertise, and risk management solutions. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Mike Coughlin, President and CEO of McKinney Flavelle, and today is May 12, 2023, and welcome to our Hot Commodity Podcast Series. Happy Friday to everybody. It is a holy WASD day today, so I am joined by three awesome folks. Eric Thornton, Commodity Specialist for McKinney Flavelle. Hello, Eric. How are you on this happy Friday? Hey, Mike. I'm doing well. Thanks. Excellent. And I'm also joined by Nicole Thomas, Vice President, McKinney Favelle, Information Sales and Service. Hello, Nicole. Hello, Michael. Hello, everyone out there. And happy uh, early Mother's Day to everyone. There you go. Uh, you beat me to the punch. Happy Mother's Day to all those mothers out there. Hopefully they all have a great relaxing weekend. Yes, our preference. And last but not least, Kevin Combs, Vice President of McKinney Favelle. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Michael, and happy Mother's Day weekend, everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I got to say something just real quick. Got a big game tomorrow at 9 a.m. And uh, Nate's team's playing the Poison Toads in the playoffs. So I hope they win the Poison Toads. They're tough, but I think Nate's Vipers can beat them. Go Vipers. Yeah, go Vipers. Vipers Vipers. for the win, baby. I think snakes snakes can beat Poisonous Toads. I think you're right. Snakes are poisonous, too. Even more poison. That's right. right. There, you there you go, Eric. So good luck, Let's Nate. Go. I hope you win. Uh, I'll be I'll be cheering in the dugout with you. So, um, so you know, Nicole and Eric, we're just blessed to have Kevin today because you know he has a rule about Friday. <laughs> <Wazdies>. <laughs> right. This is Robo Kevin. This is AI Kevin. Yeah, real Kevin doesn't like Friday Wazdies. Yeah, I know. And uh, he didn't bring donuts in this morning. I mean, it's just, uh, is this a recording, Kevin, or are you live? It is wake up and scarf donuts everybody day, but uh, we had donuts yesterday. And so two days in a row was not in the diet. Ah, darn it. Next time. But uh Hey, so the WASD came out today, but before we get into that, also uh, those that attended our spring uh, seminar, guess what? A little later today, you'll be able to access uh, those videos and watch them again or watch them if you missed one of the uh, sessions on the IQ platform. So go ahead and just log in. If you are a subscriber but didn't register, you'll be able to go to our website at nikini-flavel.com and fill out a little form and then uh, we'll get you all set up to, to view it. And if you don't know what I'm talking about with IQ Platform, shame on you. Uh, <laughs> you can t- come take a test drive, fill out that same form on our website and you can get access to uh, that great content. All right. Now with the WASD report. I thought we would mix it up today, folks, and uh, let's go ahead and start with Kevin. And Kevin, what did they do on sugar? Well, uh, two things. Today is obviously the uh, first day, our first report covering the new crop for 2023-24, and then they did make a few revisions to 22-23, so let's start with 23. And, uh, you know, at this point, May, we're, we're more than halfway through the year. And the changes aren't drastic, but they were a little bit interesting. Production-wise, uh, Florida is the only uh, production still going on, and they lowered. Uh, well, actually, it's wrapped up, but uh, twenty-nine thousand tons lower for Florida beet production because of early harvest change and finalizing numbers was just a five thousand ton increase. 
On imports, it was a little interesting because we know Mexico's having a very uh, rough crop here and it keeps shrinking. And so imports from Mexico were lowered 65,000 tons. Basically, USDA saying they're not going to have enough low pole sugar to meet their full quota. So they, they took 65,000 tons off of there. And then the amazing sugar deliveries. It uh, is up again, uh, 75,000 tons. So the USDA is now showing a 1.6% growth over last year. And as you may remember, last year was up 2.5%. So uh, people are waking up and scarfing donuts, apparently, because demand wow, is continuing to go. I worked it in again. Look at that. Thank you, Kevin. And uh, yeah, so all those changes led to lowering stocks to use 1.4%. And now the USDA has magically got supply and demand at that target 13.5% without ever even a, a reset. So pretty crazy. And then uh, 2324, Mike, we got some initial estimates. So okay. beet sugar came out at 4.961 million short tons. And Cane was actually that you know that's a fairly conservative number in my opinion. I think you know we're looking at late plantings in Red River Valley, probably two weeks behind normal, which okay. impact that a little bit. And then uh, cane, on the other hand, they've come out strong at four point two six four million short mm-hmm. tons, and Louisiana leading the way at two point zero nine million short tons raw value. So. Big crop coming up for Louisiana. Hopefully, we don't have any uh, weather issues, freezes, etc., hurricanes to have any impact there. Kevin, I'm going to have to stop you for a second and and ask you the big question on beet plantings. You say we're a few weeks behind. Um, what is your opinion? I mean, can they catch up? And and uh, obviously, the summer will will be determined by Mother Nature. But um, is that an area for concern for you at this point? Well, when you look at plantings, May 5th is kind of the magic date when we like to see about 50% plantings uh, done in Red River Valley. And the last uh, numbers here for planting progress showed North Dakota at 1%. I can't remember the Minnesota number, but it was also uh, 20-some-odd percent below normal pace. So uh, those are concerning numbers, but they can get the beat crop planted in Red River Valley in like two weeks. So if weather holds, things continue to stay dry, I think they could be about two weeks behind, you know, maybe some growers be like three weeks behind. And if the weather holds up over the summer, we get the warm days. I think the crop can make up for a lot of that time and you can still get good yields, but you know, you're, you're probably, you know, going to think that the crop would be, somewhere around one to two tons per acre lower than normal at this point based on normal weather. But, you know, things can improve quick. Wow, Kevin, that's 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 pretty incredible. So it sounds like uh, you're still optimistic about the crop, correct? Yes. So still optimistic. And again, just got to get some uh, magic weather to produce a big crop. And like I said, I just think that the beet crop could get back above 5.1 fairly easily. Uh, with good weather. That's good to hear. Yes. And then, uh, you know, when you look at imports, the USDA really sets the quotas up at the minimum level. So there's not really anything to get exciting about on the import side. 
yet. We'll uh, you know wait till we get uh, further along in the process before USDA really hammers those numbers home. And then on deliveries, we talked about 2.5% and then 1.6% this year. And they continue the trend of declining growth to zero growth for 23-24. So I guess uh, maybe they're seeing these high prices and thinking uh, high prices will cure high prices and demand will come down a little bit. So other than that, you know, Mexico had a couple of interesting numbers uh, as well. They lowered production in Mexico by 175,000 tons down to 5.385, which I think is still an overly optimistic number at this point. Crop is 90% done and the yields are falling quickly. And then uh, for 23-24, a little bit of good news, they are projecting 5.9 million tons. So they are getting a a decent rebound uh, in the forecast for next year, which is along the lines of what we were thinking, just stronger area expected. And then uh, just putting in kind of an average yield would get you up uh, close to that 5.9 million metric tons number. So Excellent. That's pretty much it for sugar. Okay, great. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, let's move over to wheat. And uh, Eric, what uh, what happened on today's Wazley with wheat? Yeah, a whole lot happened, Mike. Uh, I'd say we knew going into the first look at 23-24, you know, no huge expectations for a large crop. We knew that the, uh, you know, the drought in the Southern Plains really is going to look to have some below average numbers there for the hard red winter wheat crop. And, you know, we knew it was going to be bad, but, uh, you know, kind of get a little bit of a question answered as to just how bad can it be. And boy, USDA actually uh, was most pessimistic out there in terms of their numbers versus even uh, some of the pre-report trade guesses. So they came out with total production only 9 million bushels higher versus the year prior Wow! at uh, 1.659 billion bushels. And uh, that's pretty lowly in getting there. We had uh, a very low yield at 44.7 bushels per acre. That's almost two bushels lower than last year. And looking at a harvested area of just 37.1 million acres, and, you know, considering that we planted uh, 4.2 million acres, or at least we're projected to plant 4.2 million acres more this year, we, mm-hmm. at least from a projection standpoint from the USDA, are only going to harvest an additional 1.6 million. So um, not great right, at all for production. And like I said, USDA was actually most pessimistic even out of the pre-report guesses. So we had... Uh, an average estimate going into today's number uh, for production, at least, uh, to be 1.81 billion bushels. And the lowest guess even headed into the report was 1.69 billion bushels. So the USDA, was, wow. like I said, was the lowest number when considering, uh, you know, roughly 30 or so analyst expectations. And, um, you know, we could still see some changes to that number here on out. We're having the kickoff to the Kansas Wheat Quality Tour next Monday, so we'll start to get boots on the ground and get some actual field results. Um, Again, going to be pretty bad. Uh, Definitely we'll see some struggling crops and pretty low yields, but I think USDA clearly is just kind of getting out ahead of that and um, you know setting expectations that we're going to be well below average for yield, harvest rate, 
and um, a low production number. And we also have the spring wheat acreage to finish planting, similar to Kevin's comments on sugar beets being behind, so is spring wheat. So we'll have to see where that crop materializes over the coming months, because um, for now, USDA is just using trendline yields for other spring wheat and durum wheat. But, um, you know, some, some chances there for that final yield to move, maybe move a little higher if we have exceptional uh, weather and yields in the Northern Plains this summer. Uh, but obviously there's still risk of it falling lower. And, and I do foresee even harvested area to fall a bit lower than, than that uh, currently projected, 37.1 million acres. So you're not as optimistic as Kevin is on sugar beets recovering with wheat? Well, for spring wheat, again, we could see, you know, a crop get in the ground prior to June. They were planning, you know, well into early June last year and still had a very good above average crop, but it wasn't enough to significantly lift the total wheat yield, which includes winter wheat. And, you know, we're just going to kind of have to see what, uh, what limited upside there could be with yield, knowing that we already have a really, really tough, poor winter wheat crop on our hands, especially for hard red and white wheat. So I'm, I'm optimistic on the spring wheat crop, but not as optimistic on total wheat production, seeing a huge increase. And, you know, with the low production, we're also forecasted, um, you know, record low demand once again. So the total wheat demand is expected to fall by 38 million bushels to 1.837 billion bushels. Um, that's exceeding the last consecutive years of this record low demand really led by the category uh, of exports. Um, we had a 50 year low for uh, current crop 22, 23 at 775 million bushels. USDA lowered that even further for new crop down, down another 50 million to 725 million bushels. Um, again, very likely that's attainable. And you could even argue that we may see a little bit of revision lower to uh, current crop once it's all said and done. But, um, you know, that kind of puts ending stocks uh, well below where the trade average guess was and, and where I thought, uh, you know, we'd see something maybe around 600, 610 million bushels. Uh, USDA is saying 556 million bushels in stocks, another declining year uh, for 23-24 and the lowest now, if true, since 2007-2008. And we see, though, that just a modest trimming to stocks to use ratio, uh, still very bullish and moving the wrong direction. 31.9% uh, for current crop, or old crop, I should say, new crop looking at 30.2%. And definitely, you know, historically tight. You know, the market, I, I like I been alluding to for many months really has been factoring a lot of this information in already. It just probably was a little bit more pessimistic up front, you know, with harvest still a month away or so for, for winter wheat. So the U.S., not so good, definitely a bullish report. Uh, but the global balance sheet actually came out uh, net bearish with, you know, production estimates looking to be uh, slightly higher than last year would be another record crop year at 789 million metric tons if realized. A little bit of a trimming to demand, uh, which brought stocks at least projected to fall just slightly year over year to now 264 million metric tons, down 2 million metric tons. So average trade guess was a little bit worse than that uh, at 259 
millimetric tons. And I think, you know, USDA's placeholders for a lot of the key wheat producing countries were, were certainly in line, but I would call out a few here that uh, should be monitored or, or probably we would expect some changes as the months go by. One being Canada. We know we're going to have a 6% increase to wheat acreage there. Um, you know, they're having an okay start to plantings, but uh, USDA came right out with a near record estimate for them at 37 millimetric tons. You know, we'll have to watch that. Obviously, there is some drying trends in Canada, at least for some of the longer range weather forecasters. So that uh, 37 may only hold with, with ideal weather. And also Australia's crop, even though it's 10 millimetric tons lower for current or for new crop, 23, 24 at 29 millimetric tons, I could see that falling even further with uh, likely El Nino uh, conditions as they go through their growing season later this winter and into early spring. So their crop may fall even to, you know, 24, 25 millimetric tons if dryness uh, starts to persist as El Nino typically does for that country. Uh, India, I think also is probably a little optimistic at 110 millimetric tons. There's been a lot of inconsistent weather for them. Probably see that trim back into the mid 100 millimetric ton level. And then Argentina, though, I think maybe is a region that could see a uh, increase from USDA's number at 19 and a half millimetric tons. And, you know, they've had a really tough time uh, the last few years with La Nina. But again, the transition to El Nino should at least offer up a better chance for good rains and a better crop and some more optimistic numbers uh, versus last year's crop that was about 50% lower from drought. So, you know, the other regions I'll just finish out with uh, seem fairly attainable with Russia, 81.5 millimetric tons, EU, 140 millimetric tons, and Ukraine uh, still dealing with the war, obviously below average versus the years prior to the war at just 16 and a half million metric tons. I think those are all fair, um, you know, targets and probably pretty close to where we may end out for this year. So a lot to digest. I think it caught the market by surprise a little bit and, you know, maybe we'd see prices uh, kind of calm a little, little more next week if we get some better than planned results from the case Kansas wheat quality tour, but uh, all in all pr probably pretty supportive to prices here for the for the immediate and potentially the next few months as we work our way to see you know what type of field we can get for spring wheat and if that can help pull up the, the balance sheet a little higher so not the best news but not too far off from you know really where people were anticipating that we were going to still struggle to see a, a dramatically improved balance sheet but uh, to be kind of declining once again now for the fifth year in a row I think probably caught some by surprise mm -hmm. Hoping for a different, uh, a different end. Yes. Or a reversal would be good. Great. Thank you, Eric. Great recap. Uh, let's, uh, shift over to corn and soybeans and, and Nicole, do you have any bright news for us? Oh, happy days are here again. <laughs> da, 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 da. Yeah. I'll know the words beyond calling. that. No, that was not my calling Come at on. all. Uh, Eric, would, would you have uh, would you have voted for her uh, if she was on American <laughs> Idol? On that, be honest, Eric. If Simon, <laughs> what would Simon say? He's... That was terrible, Nicole. Just terrible. <laughs> <laughs> terrible. 
No, better than I can do. Yeah. Does that make Does that make Kevin Howie Mandel or what? Was that the wrong show? I don't even know who the hosts are anymore. I haven't seen that show in so long. I don't. I don't know who's there. I, uh, Bieber is Bieber on there now. So oh, just throw out names for you. So are players. you just saying I'm Howie Mandel because I don't have a lot of hair, Mike? That's really rude. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was Deal or No Deal. Was that? Show? Yeah, that's, I don't know. But hey. Um, <laughs> Uh, at least I didn't say Howard Stern. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what do we got for uh, corn and soybeans? We are definitely showing our age today, aren't we? Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I sing that song that I don't know all the words to or any of the words to, really, because finally, finally, the Grim Reaper of Markets gets the hang up that, uh, that cloak, hopefully. Hopefully gets to hang up that cloak because we are seeing for the first time in a long time the proverbial light at the end of the tunnel. And it doesn't, as Eric puts it often, it doesn't appear to be a train coming through that tunnel this time. Legitimately looks better. So Great. let's start. Let's start with corn. Uh, so 2324 balance sheet for the U.S. Finally, for the first time since 2018-19. Uh, I believe pre-pandemic, we are looking at the prospect of ending stocks above two billion bushels, which gets us those stocks to use ratio uh, um, forecast anywhere from the thirteen and a half to fifteen, maybe a little more uh, percent, which we have not had in a long time. Uh, so incredibly enthused about that, and that is with um, uh, using. Uh, the ag out well no actually the acreage uh, prospective planning's report number for acreage uh, and the ag outlook conference uh, numbers for yield and with growing consumption so no there's no caveats here other than mother nature we're going to hope for the best there so as i kind of looked at the um the consumption uh assumptions because <laughs> I, I like making things rhyme uh, 5.65 billion for feed. Arguably, that number could come down a little bit. I mean, we've got uh, much lower animal inventories uh, than we have in years past. And with the outlook for some economic weakness globally, may even uh, limit export demand for us for the meat products. So we could actually see uh, that number build from there. Also, uh, with the ending stocks number build, let me be clear. Uh, minor uh, minor recovery to ethanol demand, pretty pretty similar to what we were seeing this year. You know, arguably, um, at at least from a domestic standpoint, ethanol consumption is arguably plateaued. So I think we're going to live in this space of you know somewhere between five point two and five point four uh, billion bushels of corn usage every year, uh, barring you know we get some large new uh, export market to send more of that ethanol but everyone's kind of doing their own thing in their own country so um, not not uh, too incredibly optimistic about that but again good for the ending stock scenario uh, and then for exports uh, I would say USDA took kind of a, a safe mid-road uh, spot for that projection at 2.1 billion bushels. Uh, the reality is that could move lower if Brazil has another stellar crop next year, as well as if, uh, you know, we get that full rebound for Argentina, not to mention the Safrina crop 
the current year's safrina crop is looking pretty good down there as well. So plenty of competition from that export standpoint uh, that could limit some of that uh, demand for us down the road. Now, globally, we are looking at a potentially a 15.5 million metric ton increase to world corn st- stocks for 2324. Uh, that's That would be up 5.2%. Uh, and that too is with growing consumption. But uh, production is is the big uh, uh, culprit there for uh, improved scenario. We could see overall things uh, kind of balance out a little better than what we've been looking at in the last few years. This is assuming a pretty similar crop for Brazil at 129 million tons. So you know, in all in all reality, they could do better than that with good weather. Uh, and in, uh, rebounding our uh, production for Argentina. Uh, looking for that to increase by 46% year over year, back to normal, around 54 million tons. Uh, the one, uh, I guess, kind of uh, negative aspect of the global balance sheet, uh, that Ukrainian crop, that's produ- projected to fall to 22 million tons this year, which would be down from 5 million tons or down by 5 million tons from 2223. Uh, and accordingly, exports are projected to fall by 9 million tons. Uh, and it's worth noting that um, the negotiations are ongoing uh, for the extension or of the grain shipment corridor uh, between Russia and Ukraine, uh, trying to extend that through the middle of July. But beyond that, and if we're looking for things that could add a little bullish flair in the market unexpectedly, sort of, down the road, um, it might be uh, that situation um, in that, you know, by then uh, the resilient safrina crop will be available. Uh, we've talked with, with clients as to how China has been a big recipient of the grain that has been moving through that corridor. Uh, and accordingly, they may just shift their attention to South America, to Brazil, and there not be as big of a need uh, from their end anyway for that uh, contract or, or that agreement to be renewed. So we'll see what comes uh, down the road for that. Now, as far as the current marketing year is concerned, pretty minor changes. We now see the domestic ending stocks above $1.4 billion. That's on uh, a reduction to the export category. We've all kind of seen that coming. Last few weeks have brought a lot of uh, cancellations of shipments, uh, most notably uh, by China that uh, has had folks kind of scratching their head as to how we could even uh, manage to ship out uh, as many exports as we were looking at on that 22-23 balance sheet. So like I said, I think that's been expected and and probably considered in the market for a while now. And when you look at uh, global ending stocks, they too uh, were raised a bit for the current marketing year uh, by 2 million tons and now sit at about 297.4 million tons. So as far as the corn balance sheet was concerned, bottom line in today's report, uh, again, bearish outlook, much better production outlook for most of the world's majors, uh, major producers slash exporters, excluding Ukraine. Uh, and hopefully this is, you know, sort of the unofficial start to the end of a of what's been a pretty major supply crunch that's plagued us pretty much since uh, the end of the, or since the pandemic. Uh, so just need weather to cooperate and we need things to be calm uh, from a geopolitical standpoint and we should be good. 
So let's talk about soy. Same scenario, looking much better, arguably uh, kind of caught the market by surprise with the early look at 23-24 domestic ending stocks coming in on the high end of uh, the range of analyst expectations here at 335 million bushels. Uh, and what does that mean for stocks to use? That means we improve from our current 4.9% to 7.6%, which would be you know neutral at worst, uh, arguably bearish at best. Uh, and looking at some of those demand forecasts there, they, you know, for the most part, they appear to be pretty reasonable. Crush uh, anticipated to grow by 4%. That makes sense with all this additional crush capacity we have in the U.S. and expectations for uh, ongoing growth in uh, renewable diesel production. Again, we'll see how the livestock and the feed side of things play into all of that. But for an initial projection, seems reasonable to me. Uh, exports. You know, again, I think the the suggestion um, is reasonable, but I also think it's the category with the most in the way of uncertainty, most notably because there's a bevy of factors related to China, uh, including growing imports from South America. Uh, this week, uh, there was an article out about the approval of their first gene edited soybean seed. So longer term, they're definitely looking to increase yield to improve their own domestic production of soy. We've been talking about the the reduction in the soybean meal inclusion and in, in some of these feed rations, and we continue to hear rumors of, of more uh, ASF uh, to impact that hog herd. So overall, that leaves in the question, what are export number our export number will be for um 23-24 considering that china usually represents about two-thirds of that category so something to uh follow longer term that could actually help those stocks build additionally potentially and from the global uh balance sheet also anticipating a major improvement growth of ending stocks by about 20 million tons to uh, 122 and a half million um, in 23-24 with uh, much better production globally uh, projected to rise by about 11% year over year. Uh, And that includes Argentina getting back to normal, nearly double where it it stands today, Um, looking at about 48 million tons. And Brazil is also expected to grow additionally. They had a huge crop this year uh, and they're looking to add another 8 million tons to their record setting crop of this year. So, and that again, along with uh, global consumption increases, in this case, up by 26 million tons year over year, a little less than 5%, still looking pretty good, again, because that production scenario, that outlook is so much so much better than what we've been dealing with the last few years. Uh, now, regarding the current marketing year, very minor changes. We saw uh, U.S. soybean stocks uh, increase by 5 million bushels um, due to uh, an upward revision to imports. So, Really, no change on the on the consumption side of things, but that import number is now at twenty million bushels, and so uh, all in all, a uh, very very minor increase to ending stocks there. Then, from a global standpoint, ending stocks were also raised uh, this time by seventy five thousand metric tons to a hundred and one. Now, one uh, thing to note there is that. As far as that stock's number is concerned, USDA did not touch Argentina's production. 
they left it at 27 million tons. Uh, if you are reading a lot of what's coming out of Argentina, South America in general, and their projections for that soy crop, uh, some have it as low as, as 22 million tons. There's been some numbers thrown out that were even lower than that. So we could see additional revisions to that down the road. But again, another thing I think has already been digested by the market. Uh, and then lastly, uh, let me let me speak a little bit about soybean oil. And this is where things got a little interesting for me. So you look at the 2324 uh, initial projections and they have soybean oil stocks domestically declining from 2223 uh and they have that 2324 number pegged at 1.83 billion pounds i disagree with this now i I'll, i fully understand this is the first uh balance sheet to be uh published for 2324 and it's always just kind of a start with a lot a lot to change along the way uh but my issue with it is most notably being pretty aggressive with the biofuel usage. And if we look at even where we are currently, I would I would argue that that number is overstated for 22-23 at 11.6 billion pounds. I don't think we're going to get remotely close to that. Um, if I wanted to be uh, gracious, I might say 11-ish. So I think there's there's more um, to be added to the ending stocks for 22-23 that are going to play into the carry-in for 23-24 that would help boost those ending stocks. But also looking at uh, USDA's projection for biofuel consumption in 23-24, uh, they're still being pretty aggressive there too, $12.5 billion. Um, so if we're kind of struggling to hit the optimistic number we have for the current marketing year, I might argue that it's a bit premature to, to uh, suggest that we're going to get another 900 million pounds of consumption uh, in an environment where things seem to be slowing down a bit, not dramatically, but slowing down. And even within that renewable diesel category, and that's not even taken to, in, into account that we are already seeing growing consumption of canola oil for the biofuel category um, now that we can put that in renewable diesel as well. So that one is a bit of a, a head scratcher for me. The other two, uh, food use with a, a modest decline. Uh, I can see that considering the potential for more usage of, of canola, uh, canola oil based on, you know, pretty competitive prices with soybean oil uh, within the food category and also palm oil. Um, and that too being pretty competitive and with the, uh, uh, all the flexible formulation and, uh, formulation adjustments we've seen over, over the last year, year and a half, uh, very plausible that that number could come down a bit next year. Um, and exports, they kept low at 600 million pounds. This one, I was kind of wondering how they were going to handle that considering this year, with such a steep decline from years prior. And when you kind of look at what we've done historically, the question was, you know, in this new era of more domestic consumption of, of that soybean oil, uh, might they be uh, a little more conservative with consumption in the export category? In this case, they did, uh, keeping that low 
uh, and projecting that at 600 million pounds to start the year. So we'll see how, how that plays out. And then from a global standpoint, one other thing I'd like to highlight Global ending stocks of soybean oil were left uh, unchanged for uh, 22-23. So good there. And just a modest increase anticipated for 23-24. But the thing that did catch my attention, when you looked at vegetable oil, uh, the global vegetable oil stocks shows a very modest year-over-year improvement of less than a million tons to 30, uh, about 30.6 million tons in 23-24. And I think what is being considered there is the potential uh, negative effect of El Nino on palm oil production in Southeast Asia. Uh, That climate pattern tends to uh, lead to drier conditions in that part of the world. And in fact, that region is dry now, ahead of the climate switch. We're not even in El Nino yet. So we're, we're probably going to enter into that El Nino phase with some existing soil moisture deficits uh, that could, could build additionally before El Nino actually takes hold, which is being forecasted for as early as later this summer uh, or, or sometime here in the second half of this year. So overall, again, pretty bearish report. You see those soybean oil uh, futures coming down underneath 50 cents a a pound again Mm. looking out into 2024 you're getting closer to 48 cents uh and i am i do continue to be uh, a proponent of you know chipping away at that but i'm feeling feeling more and more confident that we we get a good crop here in the u.s this year we get you know anything remotely close to these numbers uh, or better for South America uh, as their their initial expectations uh, come out in September-ish, you know, October timeframe, that by the beginning of next year, we've got confirmation of a good crop down there. We maybe have a little weakness in consumption globally, little little pressure on consumption in the U.S. that, hey, who knows, we might we might be talking about, you know, 46 cents a pound bean oil, which though <laughs> still historically high, gets us closer to that new normal and much, much better than what we've been experiencing for the last couple of years. Great. Thank you, Nicole. Um, and thank you, Kevin. And thank you, Eric, for a great recap today. Uh, we're going to let people go on with their weekend. And as I always like to say, live with an attitude of gratitude. Enjoy every minute moment with your friends and family. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Thank you for everything you do. We couldn't do it without you. And, and Nicole, enjoy your special day as well. Thank you. So until our next podcast, take care, everybody. See ya. Bye-bye. That concludes this podcast episode. For expanded commentary and more detailed information, log on to McKinney Favelle's IQ Ingredient Intelligence platform and listen to our Market Insights podcast. If you're not a subscriber, visit bikini-favelle.com for more information. And as always, follow us on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter.